Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. We can still be friends. <laughs> this will this will come in later when I talk about agree to disagree. My wife actually likes the Leafs. I like the Red Wings, so we just have to agree agree to disagree on which team is better. Although this year we know who's better. Amen. <laughs> James tells us we all make mistakes, and today we're doing he said she said kind of couples edition. If you watched us a little while ago, we did a kids edition. Uh, we seem to be having some fun with this concept that men and women kind of look at life through a different lens. But we all make mistakes in marriage. Men make mistakes, women make mistakes, everyone makes mistakes. Like, you know, but here's the thing. Perspective, you know, when I say I have nothing to wear, it means there's nothing clean. When she says she has nothing to wear, it means she has nothing New. But he never says he has nothing to wear. And coincidentally... Because his clothes are always clean. And, and you never say you have nothing to wear because you always have something new. <laughs> so, while we're there, we want to talk today about a relationship that we believe God established with the marriage covenant. And it's foundational to society. And I want to give you... It's the one thing that God compares to our union with Christ is the marriage covenant. And when I think back to Genesis at the beginning in, you know, chapter 2 and 3 in the book of beginnings at the beginning of this, we see that it says God made man in his image. How many remember that? You remember reading that? You can go there and look it up at the beginning of your Bible. You'll see. But then it says that later God took Adam and put him to sleep And he took a rib, and from the rib, he created woman, and then male and female, he created them in his image. And you could Google it and get 20 different opinions from 20 different theologians, so don't do that right now. Just listen to what I'm saying. We're talking about the image of God. Okay, now watch. Male and female, he created them, and I I really like to kind of, as I think about that, I feel like God took his attributes the completeness of the Godhead, and he put some of those attributes in men and some of those attributes in women. And, you know, there's probably some overlap there where he put some attributes over here. But what we're supposed to do, or the idea that God has given us is the man and the wife come together in a covenant relationship before God, and that's when we're truly able to reflect his image to the culture that we live in today. Because in our culture today, there's a huge attack on what is the image of God? What does God look like? Who is God? Right? And, and what happens is, biblically though, the scriptures tell us that he made male and female, and he set us into this covenant relationship where the two become one, and that is the only thing he compares his relationship with the church to, is the marriage covenant. So there's this huge assault on marriage as God set it up. So together, 
my wife and I in a covenant relationship before God, we hope to reflect the glory of God or the fullness of his image to the world system that we live in, despite the fact that we all make mistakes and we're all in this process. So, Pastor RJ and I, we've been married almost 18 years, so we're entering into our 18th year. 18 good years. So, and there's 18 good years. And yes. I have to say that. I can't lie. That's right. You can't lie. Um, and there are, you know, we did not coast through those 18 years. Um, we worked hard on our marriage and family relationship. We uh, walked the journey together. There's been some bumps and bruises. Hopefully there's no, you know, there's no, there was no broken bones and nobody died yet. So we're good. We're making it. Um, well, when you put a Lebanese girl with a Sicilian guy, I don't know, our kids are pretty cool. They're pretty awesome, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah kids are good. They're pretty awesome. So for Pastor RJ and I, so we got married when we were into our late 20s. We were 28. You know, we're both the same age. We're 28. So prior to that, I was living my life. He was living his life on two separate paths, two separate roads, journeys. Um, I had a job. I had a career. I was on my own. He's the same thing. He had a job. He has a career. He was on his own. We're set in our own paths, hobbies, you know, things that we do, our own routines, and everything. So... The job, the task at hand was to take our two different lives, two different paths we were on, and bring them together, merge them together on one path in marriage together. And I remember there was this funny story when we first got married, because we're both quite independent, both used to living on our own, and we would take care of our own stuff, right? So we would be double paying bills all the time. We would be, because, you know, we would go to each other, we'd be like, I paid that bill, so did I. You know, like, and we'd be like, okay, we have to decide who's going to do what. And we had to dialogue and we had to talk about these things. And they all come through seasons because things that arise when you're just married without kids are going to be different than things that arise when you have children. And you have to talk about those things and work through those things and walk through those things. So we have to work on those things together and bring those two paths together. So it's not about two lives living under one roof. It's one life, one heart, living under one roof together with God, coming together, working on things, not coasting, but actually working on things and trying to work on things and make things happen and understanding that our husbands and wives, your spouse, is your greatest asset. They're your partner. You should be looking at them and viewing them that they're your greatest asset. They're the secret to your success because your success is inherently linked to one another. And if you're happy, they're going to be happy. If they're happy, you're going to be happy. You guys, you're linked together as one. Amen? My turn. He's texting. Who's he texting? My daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, do you mind taking this to Isabel? <laughs> I really was texting her. <laughs> she lost the tag. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about our words and our attitude affect or determine the direction of our relationship because so many times the words that we speak over our spouse, okay, here's the key, it's going to reflect the direction the relationship goes. And, and too many times we don't, we don't, what's the word I'm looking for, 
properly speak over our spouse. And instead of speaking blessing and affirmation and encouragement, we discourage and attack and tear down. None of you have ever done that, though. No, no, no one here. So here's the thing with my parenting, you know. Um, some days I do okay as a dad, and other days I'm a little bit more challenged. Any dads ever have a challenging day with their children? But despite that, my wife affirms me in my role as a father consistently on the good days and on the bad days. So that's why, you know, she can go away for the weekend and I can handle the kids because I have enough confidence because she's consistently affirming me rather than attacking me and telling me that I can't do it as good as she does. It works for me because I get to go. I get to have time to shop because I don't say I have anything to wear. <laughs> on the other hand, um, you know, I'll, I'll use this one because this week, it's, it's a busy season. I mean, everyone has busy seasons in life. Sometimes I feel like life is always like that, but um, sometimes we choose our own busyness. But it's been a little bit, there's a lot of things converging all at once right now in our lives. And, and we were talking about this message on, I think it was Tuesday night. And we had an outline and we knew where we were going with it. We were trying to put the pieces together. And my wife had one of those moments where life kind of caught up with her and she was looking at the amount of things we had to do between Tuesday and Sunday morning and going, I don't know if we're going to be able to finish this message. And she was getting a little bit stressed. Okay, truth is probably a lot stressed. <laughs> but in the moment when she was communicating how stressed out she was, um, very animated. Um, how animated was I, honey? You were quite animated. <laughs> I grabbed my wife's hand and I said, Mary, you got this because the Holy Spirit's in you and he's given you wisdom and insight and revelation, and he's imparted a gift within you. And you're going to study for this many hours, because that's how much time we have to study. And then the Holy Spirit's going to take over, and your gift is going to flow forth, and people are going to be blessed, and everything's going to work out good. And through that, peace came. There may not be peace later, but there was peace. No, I'm just kidding. There's going to be peace later. And then, so what I'm trying to say is, what do you speak over your husband or what do you speak over your wife? What are you speaking over them? Are you blessing them or are you tearing them down all the time? And, and men especially, you need to pray for your wives daily. For those of you that don't know what daily is, there's normally seven days in a week, so... Each day, you take time out of your life to pray for your wife. And I'm not trying to be condescending because some people think, well, I prayed for her once. I heard a guy say, I told my wife I loved her at the altar. And if anything changes, I'll tell her again. Daily. Because when you're praying for your spouse, it's very difficult to complain about your spouse. Thank you, Mike. Also, it says in, in 1 Peter 3, it says, in the same way husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. 
What do you mean? My prayers are going to be hindered if I don't treat my wife right? Absolutely. But there's a couple things in here. Bob Deffenbaugh, that's his name. He highlighted this, and I I wrote it down because I liked how he said it. He said, we're to live with our wives in the knowledge that we are to subordinate our own selfish desires to the benefit and blessing of our wives as Christ did for the church. You know what that means to us here in 2018? I take my selfish ambition and selfish desires and I lay them down so that I can be a blessing to my wife. That's what he's talking about when you live with knowledge. The knowledge is we're crucified in Christ and we lay down our ambition and we take up the nature of Christ. And then the second aspect of that that some people like to forget sometimes is some aspects of the marriage covenant are mutual submission. Say what? The wife is supposed to submit to the husband. True, but there's other areas where the Bible says we're to submit to one another in love. So in your relationship, we are co-equal. We are co-heirs with Christ. I am a son of God. My wife is a daughter of God. We stand before him on equal footing. Yes, I understand there's a headship in the home, and I'm not trying to subvert that or teach something different. I understand that. But there's a mutual submission that we have where we have conversation on many things that aren't headship issues. That means I don't control and dominate my wife. Nor should I. And then from there, we have to have an understanding that when it's talking about the weaker vessel, I kind of, I've read about a million commentaries, not really, but lots of commentaries on that. Lots of people, and they often talk about the physical strength, she's the weaker one. But I really think there's something more there because it has to do more with, have you ever had like something really precious to you, like an heirloom? like a vase or, or some linen thing that they pass down from generation. And sometimes those are a little bit more delicate. And I think it's trying to communicate to us that we're to delicately handle our wives with extra special care. More care than maybe we give to ourselves. Does that make a little bit more sense in light of the context of what Peter's trying to say to us here? So how, hey, do you treat yourself first or do you treat your wife first? I'm talking to the guys. Does your money go to your hobbies and none for her? Do you spend everything before she even gets a say? Do you spend time with her or do you spend time with your TV or your buddies or your games? Oh, come on, guys. We're still friends. (laughs) It's important that we have an understanding that the Bible says we're to honor our wives. We're to treat our wives with extra care. And... I'm trying to practically show you that sometimes we don't always know what that looks like until someone kind of shines a light on it and shows us. So I, in the same vein, Pastor RJ was talking about, you know, praying for your spouse daily. So I want to expound upon that a little bit and go into that a little bit deeper. So God in his awesome, awesome wisdom and his almighty power and his sovereignty, because he can do anything, has decided to work through us, his own creation. And he works through relationship. And the center relationship, the most pivotal relationship that God ordained, the first relationship that he created, was in husbands and wives, in family. And through that relationship, everything else goes out from there. So that we need to remember that your spouse, your husband and wife, the voice 
of your spouse, your husband and wife, next to the voice of the Holy Spirit is the most important voice that you will hear in your life. Because in that voice, that oftentimes is the Holy Spirit speaking through your husband and wife, letting you know and affirming you and talking to you and encouraging you. And in that way, is prophetic in nature. So we need to understand, okay, that when we're praying for our spouse, when we're praying for our husband and wife, that we are asking God and we're seeking the Lord, give me, Lord, your eyes to see my spouse. How do you see my husband? How do you see my wife? And if you listen and God shows you, this is what I see. Now, you have to understand, God is giving you his eyes to see. From his perspective, he is seeing your husband and wife from beginning to end. From birth all the way till they enter into eternity. He's seeing in an eternal perspective. So when he's giving you his eyes to see, oftentimes he's giving you a vision and a hope and a thing, something that you can see that your spouse does not see. And it's up to you to take that in prayer and war with that in prayer, and then speak that over your spouse and prophesy into their life and speak it to them in their life. So you're building them up. You're not tearing them down. You're prophesying words of encouragement, and you're telling them how incredible they are, how amazing they are, the gift of God that they are, and that in that way, we need to understand that when we are looking through the lens that God has shown us, and it's prophetic in nature, it goes out with the Spirit of God. It goes out with the anointing of God on it, and it will not return void. It goes out, and it begins to develop that. It begins to bring that out. You're calling those things out of your spouse. And on a side note, you're doing, if you're doing that, like Abigail, our second daughter, she just had her birthday yesterday. Uh, in January, it was Isabel's birthday, and we do the same thing with all of our children. But we pray regularly, daily for our children, that God would show us how to see them. Lord, what do you see? Give me your eyes to see each of my children. How do we pray for them? And we laid hands on Abigail and we prayed over her and we prophesied into her life and we spoke over her good things and we encouraged her and we let her know what a blessing she was and we encouraged her. The same thing with all of our children. And at a very pivotal key moment, and she was, you know, it's her birthday, she's the center of attention and you know, we spoke into her life and her heart was ready and she received that word in good ground and she took that. So you're the one, the husband and the wife, that you're supposed to be the mirror that they can see through. Often, and I'm being very honest right now, I wouldn't be, uh, be able to be up here today if Pastor RJ hadn't been my mirror that I was able to see through when the mirror I was looking in was telling me lies that I wasn't going to be able to do what God was calling me to do. But through, and it's not just something that happens like that overnight. It's not like God comes down and sprinkles fairy dust and goes, oh, it's all good now. It doesn't happen that way. It was years and time that he would continually tell me and speak over me, Mary, you got this, you can do this. Look at yourself through my eyes. Let me show you what I see. Mary, this is what I know God has given me a vision for. I know. I see this. He's you shown me this about this. you. So without his encouragement, and, and it was the encouragement and the grace that God had given him to encourage me to prophesy into my life, 
to release prophetic utterance into my life, that I was able to step out and take a risk and do that which God had called me to do because I know that no matter what, he's got my back. He's my support. He's there with me. He's encouraging me. He's uplifting me. He's lifting me up in prayer. And no matter what happens, even if, there was fa if there's failure or anything, that it doesn't matter. He's not going to point the finger and say, see, I told you so. Or, you know, oh, I guess that was a bad idea. No, he's going to be by my side and he's going to let me know that it doesn't matter. It's okay. We're going to get through this together. I'm by your side. I'm not leaving. We're going to be able to conquer this no matter what. So we need to understand and have a real understanding that your voice to your spouse, you have such an incredible opportunity given to you by God, entrusted to you by God, that you can speak life or death over your spouse over your husband and wife, and send them on a prophetic destiny that you can choose. So you either tear them down or you build them up by the words that you speak. And it's important that we understand that that voice is next to the Holy Spirit is the most important voice that they are going to hear. And that is inherently linked to you because their success is linked to your success. If they succeed, you succeed. Your lives are one. And out of that, I can't tell you the, the level of intimacy and the level, um, that a different level that God has taken us to together in ministry, that we're able to minister together and be up here together because he was obedient to uh, lift me up in prayer. He was obedient to constantly encourage me. And now together, in God's perfect timing, that we step out together and do this together, there's a greater anointing. There's a greater power of God that comes alongside it when we are in unity and we're in oneness. And we are doing it together with, in one spirit, together in marriage. Amen? Amen. So I want to bring out 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 and 2. And it's in the Amplified. And I want to talk about, it says, in the woman's same way. The woman's translation, yes. <laughs> it's wordy, I like it. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect. For there were the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God. And so partnering with them so that even if some do not obey the word of God, they may be won over to Christ without discussion by the godly lives of their wives, when they see your modest and respectful behavior, together with your devotion and appreciation, love your husband, encourage him, and enjoy him as a blessing from God. So I want to bring out that, okay, when it says here, it says, wives, be submissive to your husbands, subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibility that was given to them. Okay, so I, I need you go, ladies, let me speak to you for a second. Your husband did not take something that was not given to him. He didn't take it. He did not demand it. This entrustment, this headship that he was given was given to him by God. We need to understand that. So in the same way, your king, Jesus, your Lord, your savior, God himself, does not even take from you the ability for you to say yes or no to him. 
the ability for you to say, yes, I desire to give my life to you, Lord, and submit it down to you and lay it all down for you to have it, he doesn't take that from you. He says, you have to give it to me. And in the same way, your husband cannot demand that you honor him and respect him. He cannot demand that you submit to him. It is something that you have a choice over. It is something you are in full control over, and it is the condition of your heart that you submit to him in the position that has been entrusted to him by God, that you honor that and that you respect that, and then you come alongside him and partner with him, like the word says, to bring about the will of God in your marriage, that you partner together. So it's not about him being better than you. It's not about him having all the say. It's about you actually being one of the most powerful voices of influence into his life that he will ever know. And when you do it right and you speak life and health and encouragement into him, when you speak and when you need to talk to him about something that maybe isn't so easy for him to hear, he is going to know that you are with him, you got his back, that you honor him, that you respect him, that you are by his side no matter what. And even when there's a way that you approach your husband and you speak to him with honor and respect, that when it comes out, it doesn't come out that you're discouraging him, that you're tearing him down, that you're demeaning him. It comes out that, babe, I'm guarding your heart. I'm protecting you. I want to be there for you. And I just want to shed light on this, this thing right here. And I'm lifting this up in prayer and I want to talk to you about it. And he's not going to receive it as an attack because he already knows from before all the seed that you've sown and spoken into him and said to him, I submit to you. I trust your headship. I trust your judgment. I trust the decisions that you make. And even if you make the wrong one, I am not going to come back to you and say, see, I told you so. You are going to come to him and say, babe, I'm with you. Whatever happens, I'm going to support you. We're going to pray and we're going to get through this thing together. I still, you still got, I still got your back. We're going to do this together. Amen? Amen? And I want to also express one more thing to you, to the ladies out there. And then we're going to go back to NLT. Um, there is a, and it, it saddens me, actually, very much. It makes me very sad to hear that this perspective, I hear it often among Christian women. And if you are a Christian woman, I'm just going to lay it out there for you. The perspective is wrong, and it's not godly. And I hear women... Often, Christian women in the church referring to their husbands oh, as, he's just another kid. Now, I always have to take care of him. He's just like another child. Just add him to my number. Add him to my list. I need to take care of him. That is not a respectful or honorable view of your husband that lifts him up in high esteem. It's wrong. If you are a Christian woman, your husband is the head of your home. He's not your child. And my Bible says that we train up our children. We serve our husbands. We serve each other. We serve our mate, our spouse. He's not somebody I train. He's someone that I serve and I love and I encourage and I want to edify him. I don't speak to him in a disrespectful way like that. How would we like it if our men kept referring to us, Christian men, she's the old ball and chain. The nag. She's the witch, but really, it's the B word that rhymes with witch. But we can't say that, because I'm on the pulpit. But that's what he's thinking. And that perspective is just as wrong. 
but we think it's okay for us women to have that perspective about our husbands and then expect them to be the man that God has called them to be when all we've done is tore them down. We need to lift them up. They are not our children. And you know what makes me even, I laugh because I look at them and I'm like, the hope is that nobody shot, held a gun to your head and made you marry this man. The hope is nobody coerced you into marrying this man. The hope is that you married this man on your own free will. And if anything, when you demean him and belittle him like that, it's only a reflection of the character or the ability that you have to discern character in somebody. Really? That you speak about your husband that way. It's not right. We need to uplift our men. We need to uplift our husbands and we need to speak life over them and view them, as the word of God says, as the gift that they are to us and that we encourage them and that we love them and that we enjoy them. Amen? Amen. In James 3, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. It's talking about the tongue. This next segment that we're going to go into, well, I'm just going to go into, is the fighting fair segment. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about is we have to learn to pick our battles. How many know that you have to choose what's important to have a conversation about and some things you need to overlook because isn't that what love does? It overlooks. And I mean, people fight about everything and they die on every hill and they have a lot of funerals. They have a lot of miserable days because the truth is, you know, is this the hill I want to die on? But, you know, you can fight about the toothpaste or the toilet paper, <laughs> or you can save your energy for things that might be a little bit more important, you know? And it's important that we learn to choose. And then timing is important in this too, right? Like when to have a conversation with someone. So, you know, in the odd event that I actually sit down and I may be watching, well, I'm not going to watch too many hockey games, but if I'm watching a football game, <laughs> you know, if it's the middle of a football game and my wife sits down next to me on the couch and starts having a conversation with me, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's usually when she sits down and says, can I have a new dress and I'm going to go buy this and I'm going to go do this. And <laughs> you said yes and you said yes and you said uh-huh and you said you don't care, just do what you want, you know, but it's not the time to have a conversation. And the same is true, you know, maybe she's getting ready for work in the morning. Hey, you want to talk about something important? Like, you know, she's busy. She's working on her hair. I won't even go there. <laughs> There's other times that just aren't good to have conversations. He's talking about, you know, ladies that time of the month. Husbands, if you're smart. There's one or two days you just don't you have just any don't conversation. Go you just <laughs> go you clean just, the garage. It's okay. <laughs> so, and then... It's important that we understand that often there's an issue at hand, not the person's character. And anytime you get into a, a, a disagreement or a fight and you start bringing their character into the conversation, it's going to become counterproductive productive to what you're trying to accomplish. And we actually found a video on this through Focus on the Family, so we're going to play that for you at this time. Here's Dr. James Dobson with Family Talk. Since there's conflict in every romantic relationship, learning to fight fair just might be the most important lesson any couple can master. 
You know, there's a real difference between healthy and unhealthy combat in marriage, and everything depends on the way disagreements are handled. In an unstable marriage, hostility is usually meant to hurt, and it's often directed at the soft underbelly of the partner's ego, with comments like, you never do anything right, and why did I marry you in the first place, and I think you're getting more like your mother every day. These words strike at the very heart of a mate's self-worth. On the other hand, healthy conflict remains centered on the immediate problem at hand. For example, it upsets me when you don't tell me you'll be late for dinner. Or I was embarrassed when you made me look foolish at the party last night. Can you hear the difference? Even though the subject matter might be equally emotional and tense, the focus is on the specific problem in the relationship and not on what you perceive as a basic personality defect of your mate. When couples learn this important distinction, they have the freedom to disagree and work through conflicts with their dignity still intact. Dr. James Dobson with Family Talk. There's some good wisdom in that. Moving on, we, we need to learn to forgive quickly, quickly, especially in a marriage covenant. We need to learn to quickly forgive because if we hold grudges and stay angry, it's not going to help our relationship. It's not going to help our unity. And the truth is, while we're in disunity, our prayers are going to be put on hold. So you have to learn to let it go. You have to learn to forgive. I, you generally... Here's, here's my perspective. Remember I said perspective in marriage? My wife is an awesome woman who is good-intentioned, and she loves me and has my best interest in mind. So if we've come to this place of conflict, I still have to remember that she's an awesome woman who's good-intentioned and has my best interest in mind. But from that perspective, She's presenting her point of view. And often what happens is we're not very good at walking over to the other person's perspective to see their point of view. And we're always seeking to be understood rather than seeking to understand. So you're practicing listening. Yeah, listening is good. And being slow to speak and quick to listen. And you know, as I get older, I think I told him it was a first service. I'm halfway to 90. <laughs> but... Say that again. Halfway to what? Halfway to 90. Oh. <laughs> here's the key. You look good, though, babe. Thanks. So amazing. Not quite as good as you, though. Uh, here's the thing. I watch people do things, and while I may not agree with their conclusions or their processes, I've come to the place where I understand why they make the decisions that they do. Even if I disagree with their decision, I see when I try to put myself in their shoes why they made that decision. I don't know if that makes any sense. But unless you're willing to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you're going to have a hard time. And then we have to, I told you earlier, we have to learn to agree to disagree sometimes. Now, there's some things you can do this with. Which hockey team is the best? We could go back and forth all day about which hockey team is the best. Who cares? It's an opinion, let's agree to disagree and move forward. Now, if I wanted to start having conversations about having a second wife, that's not an agree to disagree issue. That's a pretty big deal. Don't that worry, is I won't. don't go to sleep at night. Yeah. Issue. 
do the fish thing, one eye open. <laughs> so, um, really, um, it's important that we see things from our spouse's perspective, and that will help us in the conversation. So it leads us to our, our third and, and final thing we wanted to kind of present to you. Years ago, a man named Greg Johnson came in, and he was a, a singles minister at the time. And he started his discourse at the singles conference with these jokes, you know, and the first one was there's the three rings of marriage, there's the engagement ring, there's the marriage ring, and then there is suffering. And, and much to his chagrin, <laughs> much to his disappointment, when he came back the next time as a married man with his new bride sitting over there in the front row, and we opened his introduction with that video, she wasn't quite as happy as <laughs> we were watching that video. But you know, here's what we actually want to try to communicate to you, and I'm going to turn it back over to my wife in a second. In marriage, you can choose the path of suffering or you can choose the path of honoring. I'm supposed to read a scripture. Oh, yeah. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what is good and love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You can choose. That's Romans... Uh, 12 9 verses and 10. 9 and 10. 12, 9, and 10. In the New Living Translation. Yes. <laughs> so you choose. You can choose suffering. You can choose honoring. And that is going to determine your approach to your relationship, which is also determined by the outlook that you have, which is determined by the words that you speak. And also, all three rings or a choice. So you chose to accept the engagement ring, and men, you chose to offer the engagement ring. You chose to come to the altar and accept and wear a wedding ring, and you choose to accept either suffering or honoring, which leads you in that direction. So in all things, you have a choice. And in that scripture, it talks about Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. So when something is genuine, it means it's real. It's intentional. So the little things that go on and happen in your marriage, the little ways that you show honor and respect and love and communicate value and appreciation to your spouse, they matter. Just like the little things a tiny spark, something you say, or sarcastically, or whatever, can set off a tiny spark. The little things that sow seed of communicating value and honor to your husband and wife, they matter. Pastor RJ, every morning, he makes me my tea, and he brings it to me, and he serves it to me. And every night, she makes me a tea and brings it to me. And that's our connection time. And we sit and we talk and we connect. For as long as we've ever known each other, since the day that we began courting, Pastor RJ has opened up every door for me. My car door, doors, the house, like everywhere, he opens the door for me. And when we, 
when we first began dating, that was really hard for me. Like, it was an adjustment for me. I was not used to that. And he would used to make me do laps around the car. You, you open the door again. You got to walk around, do laps. And let me open the door for you. You got to get used to this. And he said, Mary, I want to honor you. I want to show you how much I love you and I value you. You're precious to me. I want to show you that. And he honor and people were like, oh, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. That'll just like be, you know, wait till you get married and give it a few years. 18 years in, he never stops. He's always opening my door, always choosing to honor and respect me. As a matter of fact, it's me that always, like, forgets. And, but I'm getting really good at this now because it's to the point where now, if I go out with other girlfriends and stuff, I'm sitting in the car. And I'm, like, waiting for him to come and open my door. And they'll look at me and say, uh, yeah, Mary, I'm not opening your door. I'm not your husband. You got to get out of the car on your own. Open the door. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm just, now it's. So, and my daughters see how their dad treats their mom. And that's sowing seed and an example to them that when they are looking and they are praying about a good spouse, a good husband, that they are comparing them to their dad. And they have a tough act to follow their husbands, let me tell you. He is the best man I know. He's the best man for me. And ladies, if you don't think that about your husband, then we need to start speaking that over them more. He has a heart to be that for me. He's not perfect. He does make mistakes. But he has a heart to be the best man for me. He's my perfect. He's the gift of God that God gave me. And I'm so thankful for him. I thank God for him every day. And honestly, it's very hard for me to come up with a list of things that I don't really like about him that annoy me. It really is. Because I choose every day to thank God for him and speak over him life and thank God about him, well, for him for all the wonderful things he is and he does for me. And that all those other things, they, they, they fade. They're blurred. They're in the background. I, don't, I have to think about them to be able to make a list of, oh, these are the things I really don't like. But if you ask me, I could rattle off all day long how much he blesses me, how much he loves me, how much he shows me with his actions that he loves me and he treasures me and that he values me as his wife. Amen? So if everyone could stand up with us, and we're going we're gonna to go into communion, and I just had a thought that's random, which is always dangerous. But Jacob, he served seven years for Rebecca, and then he got Leah. Nope, I said that wrong. Rachel. No, he got Leah first. He got Leah first. Not, I said Rebecca, not Rachel, but anyway. And then he served another seven years for the one he really wanted, Rachel, so that was... 14 years he served for his wives and then another seven years so he could get some cows. Some other stuff. So I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 9-year-old. So, you know, guys, you want to start applying now? In seven years, we'll have a conversation after you've proven your character to me. (laughs) 
On a more serious note, one of the things that <laughs> Pastor Howie and Marsha taught me this years ago, and it was one of those little things that I saw them do, and they didn't actually say anything to me. I went and asked them about it because I saw them do it. And I don't know if you've ever seen us do this, but this is how my wife and I take the Lord's Supper. We break it, and I give her half, and she gives me half. And when I asked Pastor Howie and Marsha, they explained to me that has to do with the exchange life. So husbands and wives, if you could maybe join us at the altar today. Because I don't think there's any marriage that's arrived, and I'd like to, we'd like to just so pray if you're married, for all the married couples. And if your husband or place, wife isn't with you, you can come, come up, down. Roxy. You can come up and join us up here. And I know some of the single people in moments like this, they get uncomfortable, but listen to me. I had a young man tell me after first service, I learned some principles today that are going to carry me in the future when I do get into a relationship. And it gives them a little bit of a head start on maybe people that have to learn this stuff the hard way. But see, when come, we exchange this, here's what you have to understand I'm saying. My life belongs to you. And her life belongs to me. We are one before our Creator. And there's so many times, and I often tell couples this at the altar when I join them in marriage, and I tell them, I say, listen, in the hard times, you go to your covenant meal and you remind yourself of the promises of God in your relationship. And remember, this relationship is a reflection of our relationship with Him. So as we're here together today, Father, I thank you for the bread that's in our hands and it represents healing and hope and joy and love overwhelming. And I ask that you're going to pour out your spirit upon every couple here in this room today, even the future couples. But Lord, I thank you that at the Lord's Supper, we stand equal before you. Our hearts are open and we can receive the truth from your word as we purpose to walk in love, as we purpose to choose peace, forgiving those things that are in the past and moving forward to a bright future with you, purposing to bless the one that you've brought into our life. And today, I thank you, Lord, that you're releasing your healing hand and your freeing hand and that the love that people have in their marriage relationship, that it's only going to increase expand and grow in a level of depth beyond our comprehension. And we choose to thank you now in Jesus' name. So as you're up here with your spouse today, you know, we shared in the service that Pastor RJ and I Often we break bread and we share communion together as a family and as a couple, as husband and wife. And those are the moments that we take the time to give prophetic utterance into each other's life, to speak what God is showing us to speak, to encourage, to uplift, to exhort, to speak life, to sow seed into good ground at that moment that will go deep into their hearts. So do not leave the altar today without looking your husband and wife in the face, 
and exhorting them and prophesying into their life prophetic utterance. Ask the Holy Spirit what he would have you say to them. Encourage them. Speak words of affirmation and love. Let them know how treasured and valued that they are to you. What you mean to them. What they mean to you. So take the time right now as we receive the blood to pray. And at this moment, let this be something that you can take with you into your marriage to remember to speak that voice from your husband and wife is the most important influential voice that you will hear next to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Honor it. And honor the weight that it carries. Remember when you speak, to speak life, not death. In your tone of voice, in the manner in which you say it, remember to give honor and respect. The one that you chose to spend the rest of your life with, you chose. Give that place high regard. Highest regard. Because it's the reflection that God compares us to, his bride, his church. Remember that, church. So, Father, I thank you as we receive the cup today. That I speak into, I prophesy into the marriages of WCF. Healing. Restoration. Wholeness where there is brokenness. I prophesy beauty, Lord, for ashes. That what is might be broken, Lord, I pray that you are bringing back to life. That place which there may be dry bones, I pray, Lord God, that you are breathing upon it again, fresh and new. That you are sowing seed today within the hearts and lives of each marriage today. New life, new vision, new purpose, a new path to take that's in you. I thank you, Lord, for the awakening inside of each marriage. A call and a purpose and a destiny to affect not only their marriage, Lord God, but their community, their church, everywhere that they go in their sphere of influence, God. I thank you that WCF and the marriages and the families that are in it are going to be a light to this nation, to this city, that we are the example that they're going to look to because we know how to do it right. We look to you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your healing, for your blood that covers a multitude of sins, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, that as we receive this cup, we remember that you chose to give your life for us that we don't take it for granted, that we lift it up on high, Lord God, and we remember the great sacrifice that you made and that it means so much to us that we won't allow it to mean nothing, that it means everything. So Lord, I thank you that today is a new day, a new beginning and a start for a rising up and a healing in the marriages and the families of WCF, and that in the days to come, we are going to hear amazing testimony. We are going to declare 
the glory and the power of our God because it all goes to you, Lord. It's your spirit that goes forth and creates life. In Jesus' name, amen.